what we do in Matthew 4 is we begin to look at the the Galilean ministry of Jesus, Jesus's ministry that now begins to really focus in in the Galilee region. Now, what's interesting is as we pick it up in Matthew 4, verse 12, from verse 11 to verse 12, a whole year has taken place. Matthew just skips right over that. And it's a year where we've seen Jesus coming onto the scene. It's a year where we've seen uh, Jesus down in in uh, Judea, in and around Jerusalem, celebrating the Passover there. It's a year where we've seen Jesus turning the water to wine in Cana, cleansing the temple in Jerusalem, visiting with Nicodemus, ministering to the uh, Samaritan woman at the well, John 4. So we've seen all these things take place, but Matthew skips right over that. John chapters one to four, fill in all that time period for us. The other gospels coming together to kind of give some of the details. But Matthew now skips right over that to take us right to the, the, the focus of the Galilean uh, region and the focus of Jesus's ministry taking place in this area. And it says in verse 12, as we read already, that when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. Now, Matthew's gonna focus a lot on the teachings of Jesus. That's why we're gonna be getting very quickly right into the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five to seven, one of the greatest sermons ever preached. It's right up there with uh, a, a lot of the sermons you hear from Riverside right here. Maybe a little bit higher, I would say, the Sermon on the Mount, but it's right up there. And so one of the greatest sermons you'll ever, you'll ever hear, we're gonna take a lot of time to to look through what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. But Matthew focuses a lot on, on the teachings uh, of Jesus. And Jesus, you see, he's gonna have a lot more freedom to go and minister and to share and teach these things there in the Galilee region, apart from the, the kind of religious restraint that he would have experienced and did experience ministering in and around Jerusalem where a lot of the religious leaders were, you know, headquartered. And so Jesus's ministry in and around Jerusalem was oftentimes opposed and, and rejected. But now in Galilee, he's gonna have a lot more freedom to share these things that he desired to share. Now, Galilee, it's kind of like lake country. Here's a map of, of the Galilee region. And of course it centers around the, the Sea of Galilee, all right? Uh, again, this is like lake country. Those of you who love to vacation and you know, Penticton, Kelowna, all these places, you know, you got the nice vineyards. Well, that's like Galilee right here. This is uh, a beautiful area. And again, it's a place that um, a, a lot of people kind of settled in and, and migrated to. It was a very uh, warm, nice, comfortable climate. The Sea of Galilee, of course, is amazing. The Sea of Galilee is not a sea. It's not a saltwater, but it's a freshwater uh, lake, essentially, and just a beautiful place. I swam in the, uh, in the Sea of Galilee. It's just awesome to be in this area. But this is where Jesus comes, and he begins now to move from Nazareth, where he grew up, as you see on the map, and, and begin to make his headquarters in Capernaum, there uh, upon the north side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, Matthew begins his recordings of Jesus's public ministry with the announcement that John the Baptist has now been put in prison, all right? He's been put in prison uh, there under Herod's reign. Now, um, what's interesting is, is John the Baptist. I mean, he's a guy, as we've seen already, when the Pharisees all come where he's baptizing, he's like, hey, brood of vipers. Like, John's not a guy that's, you know, 
uh, mincing words at all. Like he's just telling it as it is. He's, he's a guy that's standing for truth. And what landed him in prison was because he began to speak out against Herod Antipas, who was the Roman uh, ruler in the area that was having an affair with his brother's wife. And John just says, hey, I'm gonna call you on that, right? He's not afraid to speak truth, right? And that's what's landed him in prison. But again, John's not having to sit there and be like, oh Lord, why can you let this happen to me? This is right exactly. Uh, God's call for John's life at this time. He's eventually gonna be beheaded, but you see what's happening. That's sad, uh, sad to think about, of course, but what's happening is, is Jesus now is coming on the scene. John is the forerunner. He's the one that's to announce and proclaim the coming of the Messiah. He's to prepare the way. And now that the way has been prepared, now that John's role uh, has taken place, he exits stage left and Jesus now takes center stage. So it's kind of setting that whole, you know, narrative in place for us that John now is kind of put aside right in the will of God. And now Jesus comes and he takes his place now and begins to share and minister. And so now we're focusing on the, the public ministry uh, of Jesus. And so we read, interestingly, I want you guys to take note of this here. We read in verse 13, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee, the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. So when it says right here that Jesus leaving Nazareth, now that's pretty, pretty huge. And Matthew leaves out some very interesting information for us because we read in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter four, that Jesus stood up in the synagogue at Nazareth and he was given the book of Isaiah, the scroll, and he opens up the scroll to Isaiah chapter 61, verse two. Now let's see what he said there in that because Luke now, again, he records for us right here what Jesus said. And it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is what Jesus is reading there in the synagogue at Nazareth. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, quoting from Isaiah 61, because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So Jesus now, and what's amazing is that everybody that knows Isaiah 61 in this day, they know that this is a, uh, a, a passage that's speaking of and looking forward to the coming Messiah. The one that's gonna be the promise of God that's gonna come to this world. These are the things that the Messiah is gonna do. He's gonna lead them into all peace and blessedness. He's gonna heal the broken heart, proclaim liberty to the captives. It's the time that Israel knows they're gonna be set free. And so everybody knows this is speaking of the coming Messiah, but they don't know that this is Jesus. And it says that as Jesus read this, he read it and then he just sat down. And it says in Luke's gospel that every eye in the synagogue was fixed upon Jesus. They're, I think they're all going, okay, what now? Yeah, does this, is this tie in to anything now? Like what's, and they're all fixed on Jesus and they're in awe of this, it says. But then Jesus goes, hey guys, today, 
This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's just kind of like, bam, mic drop. He puts it all on the line right there. And everybody now, it says that everybody that was fixed upon Jesus in awe, suddenly it says they were filled with wrath because now they're going, hold on a second. Jesus, how dare you? We know who you are. He's grown up in Nazareth. They all know him. They're like, this is the carpenter's son. This isn't the promised one of God. This isn't the one that Isaiah is speaking of. And they're filled with wrath and they take Jesus and they lead him out and they take him up to a high point in Nazareth and they're ready to toss him off the cliff to kill him. But then we read in Luke 4.30 that Jesus just passing through them went his way. I love that. That's so awesome. They're trying to take him. They're trying to kill him. And all of a sudden he's gone. They're all like, where'd he go? What? Who, who lost him? He's like, I, don't know, I thought you had him. No, I thought you had him. They're all like, he's gone. But he just passed through the midst of them. And it says that he went his way. Where did he go? He went up to Capernaum now. Just as we're picking up here in verse 13, leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum. But I love that because here's Jesus. They're ready to assassinate the Messiah, not realizing that Jesus is the one. But Jesus doesn't sweat it. He just passes through and he just continues on his way. Listen, guys, when, when you're facing opposition, when you're facing people coming against you, maybe you're like John the Baptist, who's a, a speaker of truth that just wants to put it out there for what it really is. And it's landing you in trouble, just like you did John. Or you're getting people coming against you and they wanna do violence against you. Guys, don't be discouraged when opposition comes. Don't let, this thing, don't let these things begin to trouble you you just kind of move on with Jesus, just like Jesus passed through the midst of them and went his way. Just continue on your way with Jesus. Don't get tripped up, don't get troubled, don't get disheartened when opposition, when trial comes. And we're living in days where I think we're gonna see that happening more and more just for being people that stand upon truth, that just wanna uh, elevate and exalt Jesus. You're gonna see that happening more and more. Don't be troubled by that. Don't think that you're outside of the will of God when suddenly, Started hearing the people landing in jail. Just know, you know what? I'm just continuing on in Jesus's way. I'm just gonna let him guide me and lead me through. And we're safe in his hands. We're, we're, we're blessed when we just continue on in the things of Jesus. And Jesus just continues on and he moves up to Capernaum now. And doing so was once again to fulfill scripture. Isaiah uh, chapter nine this time. So now in, in verse 15 here, uh, what Jesus, uh, what Matthew does is he quotes from Isaiah chapter nine, verse one to two, when he says this, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way, the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee, the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light is dawn. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this area that Jesus comes to now was referred to as what? It's referred to as Galilee of the Gentiles. Now that's interesting because this is the country of Israel. The Galilee region is still Israel, yet it's referred to as Galilee of the Gentiles. That's because many people, like I alluded to earlier, had migrated from the Roman Empire to this area around the Sea of Galilee, it's like, you know, it's got that beach town vibe to it. It's just laid back. It's kind of nice country and, and lakeside uh, feeling. It's a, it's a beautiful place that many people would come to, but this also had uh, a very strategic and international trade route 
that ran through it. It was called the Via Maris, which means the way of the sea. And isn't that interesting? Because here's Isaiah quoting, or not quoting, but referring to this place well before the time, hundreds of years before Jesus is there and this trade route is happening. It's called the way the sea now by the Romans, via Maris. And it was a trade route that ran from Egypt all the way up through the Galilee region into Babylon. And so Isaiah is prophesying of all these things taking place and that people now in this area are gonna have their eyes opened in the way that God is working. God brings Jesus from Nazareth up to Capernaum and in so doing is fulfilling what scripture's always said. Now Isaiah spoke about a time in his day when, you know, uh, there was the hope and encouragement uh, of the northern tribes was very much at a loss because of the Assyrian Empire that was coming in. And what the Assyrian Empire would do when they would come in and kind of take over a nation, they wouldn't just take everybody away, ex exile. They would move other people in, foreigners that would begin to assimilate into the land to kind of take away the sort of culture and identity of that area. And so it's being referred to as Galilee, the Gentiles. There's a lot of Gentile people that are, are moving into this area, but it's also a time now in Jesus's day where there'd be a lot of Gentiles passing through on that international trade route, that international highway, the Via Maris. Many people of varied backgrounds would be coming through that area now. But many who have been languishing in darkness will have an incredible opportunity to witness a great light now through the life of Jesus Christ. You see, What's amazing is that as people are coming through, conducting their business, going about their way, many of them may be coming with real, you know, difficulty. They're just going about, you know, in this place of darkness. And yet now they're gonna be able to encounter the light of the world, Jesus Christ. There's gonna be a great light that's gonna shine upon them to bring hope, to bring encouragement. One which now they're gonna be able to continue on to their places and continue to share that light with other people now. I'm so glad that God doesn't leave us in dark places. You know, we've all felt the, the gloom of our own tragic mistakes and shortcomings as a shadow over us. We too have once been those that have dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, just as it's being spoken of here. They're, they're in the shadow of death here. We've all been in those places where we felt that, that pain, that, that darkness, that shadow of death, and yet God wants to come and shine his light in the midst of those times in our lives, in those places. He wants to let that light come in and remove that despair. And as Jesus sets up headquarters here, again, that testimony of Jesus now is gonna be carried out to all the regions now, to the known world, as people pass by and witness the light of Jesus. It's amazing what God is establishing and setting up here. And all that has been prophesied and spoken of hundreds of years before it happened. So cool and amazing what Jesus is fulfilling. But then we read here in verse 17 that Jesus just picks up that ministry that John the Baptist has been sharing. Because we read there that from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's exactly what John the Baptist has been coming as that forerunner, as the precursor 
delivering that same message. And Jesus comes now with that same message. That word repent is a, an, an important one because what it means is to change your mind. But it's more than just change your mind. It's changing your mind in a way that causes there to be action that follows. So you're not just changing your way about something that you think. It's not just people going, well, maybe Jesus is, you know, uh, the promised Messiah. Maybe he is the guy. Oh, cool, I'll think about that. It's not just changing your mind. It's changing your mind to say, if he is the promised Messiah, I need to follow him. And it's taking that action now to leave behind where you've been to repent to those things and now turn and follow Jesus now. It's an action word that we have here, changing your course. We recognize that we were dead in our sins, right? And we need to have a different view about where our sin was leading us, but a repentance attitude that causes us now to turn to Jesus and follow him for the deliverance and forgiveness of our sin. Now, what's interesting is Mark's gospel says that Jesus came and, and, and said the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and, he says, repent and believe in the gospel. Now that's very interesting because we know the gospel today to be the fact that Jesus died on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sin. He rose again, securing eternal life for us. We know that's the gospel. That's the gospel that we proclaim and preach to say, listen, nobody's gonna go to heaven by their own good works, by them being you know, righteous people because our righteousness is as filthy rags. None of us can earn our way to heaven by how we live. Jesus came to do that work for us. He came to take our place on the cross, die for our sins, pay the penalty for our sins, so that we could now receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ, all those that believe in him. That's, that's the gospel, we know that. But in this day, Jesus hasn't laid out his mission yet. Nobody knows that he's the Messiah that's gonna come and lay his life down on the cross. In fact, many people were expecting the Messiah to come and be this great you know, political leader, this deliverer. And when Jesus came and began to lay his life down, many got disillusioned, disenfranchised, and they began to walk away saying, Oh man, this is not what we had in mind at all. So Jesus hasn't laid all this out yet, but then what is the gospel then that, that is being proclaimed? What is Jesus meaning when he says, repent and believe in the gospel? Well, I believe what Jesus is speaking of is he's, again, he's speaking of the kingdom of God. Now, Matthew, again, just so you know, he uses exclusively this term kingdom of heaven. It's interchangeable and synonymous with kingdom of God. It's the same thing, but Matthew's writing to Jewish believers. He's writing to Jewish people, I should say. He's writing to, to, to the Jews who were so worried about misrepresenting God, uh, taking the name of the Lord in vain, that they wouldn't even spell out the name God. So Matthew is being sensitive to this, and he says, we're not gonna call it kingdom of God, lest somebody like freak out, say kingdom of heaven. But it's the same thing. And what Jesus is saying about the gospel is that, Hey, listen, the, the king has arrived. The king is here. And when the king comes, there's gonna be a time of, of peace and prosperity and blessing. Again, that's what people were looking forward to, that he was gonna come physically and set up his kingdom. Yes, 
there's coming a day when he's going to do that. When he comes at a second coming, Jesus is going to occupy the throne of David from Jerusalem, and, and this world is going to be redeemed, and we're going to see the kingdom of God come in and a place of justice and righteousness and peace and blessing. That's going to come, but this first time, Jesus was coming to establish his reign and rule in our lives. It was a spiritual reign that he was coming to do. And what he's calling people to do is to submit to the reign of Jesus Christ. Are you willing to lay your life down? Are you willing to give your allegiance to Jesus who is the king? That's the gospel that he's sharing at this time. And yes, it'll be fulfilled all the more when he goes to the cross, but they don't have that in mind at this time. So, Jesus comes, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Believe in the gospel, yes. Receive Jesus as your king. Live that life of submission. Now, for that word to go out all the more, guess what Jesus is gonna need? He's gonna need some helpers. He's gonna need some disciples. So this is where we move to next now when we see Jesus beginning to call the disciples to him. Look at what we read in verse 18. It says there, and Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Now this sounds pretty amazing, doesn't it? It's like Jesus is just out there, sees two guys uh, out there fishing, casting net, and he's like, follow me. And they're just like, oh, okay, let's just, okay. We'll leave everything behind and just, Go and follow you. Who are you exactly? It doesn't matter. We're just coming. Like, we get this idea, like, they don't even know Jesus. But again, there's a lot of information that Matthew leaves out because these are two guys that have already encountered the life of Jesus. They've met him. They've, they spent some considerable time with him. They were with him at the wedding in Cana when he performed his first miracle. They've been with him in Judea during the Passover. They were with him as he, uh, after he ministered to the woman at the well in Samaria. They spent time with Jesus. Now, John's gospel records that Andrew, who's mentioned here, was a disciple of John the Baptist. And in John chapter one, when John saw Jesus, said, behold the Lamb of God. Remember after his baptism, he recognized this is the guy. This is the one that we're waiting for. Jesus is the Messiah. And so John says, behold the, the Lamb of God. And so Andrew, and it says, and another disciple went and followed after him. And Jesus turns and he's like, hey guys, what are you seeking? And they're like, uh, where are you staying? Kind of like, can we come over for coffee or something? Like, you know, they're like, where are you staying? And Jesus does what? He says, come and see. So at this point, Jesus is just inviting them. He's not calling them to discipleship. He's inviting them just to come and see who he is. Come and experience the, the life of Jesus. I'm so thankful that Jesus invites us all just to come and see who he is and, and, and what he's done for us. He invites us in. That's so awesome. But then we know later, Andrew went and got his brother, Peter, and said, Peter, you got to come and check this guy out, man. I think we found the Messiah. This is the guy. This is so awesome. And so they spent time with him. But as Andrew and Peter return now to Galilee after they've been with Jesus in Jerusalem, they come back home. This is where they live. They just go about their business again. You see, it was, it was the desire for every Jew to have a rabbi come and call them to follow the rabbi. And what every disciple, discipleship was not a new thing. 
This is something very common in Judaism. And as they would follow the rabbi, they would follow everything to a T about the rabbi. Like they would, they would see how he sleeps, how he eats, and they would emulate everything about the rabbi. They wanted to become like the rabbi. So they too then eventually would perhaps be called to, to be a rabbi. But now if nobody was called to follow the rabbi, they would just, you know, after some training things, maybe just go back to their occupation, their family trade. And here's Andrew and Peter now, they come back home and they're just like, well, that was a fun adventure. Jesus, pretty awesome guy. Guess we'll just go back to fishing. But now Jesus comes and he calls them to a, a deeper and more committed life of discipleship. He brings them in now to what they've all been wanting to hear, follow me. And he calls them to follow him and they do. And I love what we read in Mark 3 because when Jesus went up and he began to pray before he called his disciples, it says in Mark 3 that he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted and they came to him. And then he appointed 12 that they might be with them and then he might spend, uh, send them out to preach. And this is what I love. He calls them to himself that they might be with him. This is what Jesus desired. It wasn't like, hey guys, I'm gonna really have to school you. I'm gonna send you off to you know, really get some training. He's like, guys, just hang out with me to spend some time with me. He called them that they might just be with him. Are you spending time just being with Jesus and seeing the blessing and the fruitfulness that came with that? Because these are two guys now that aren't just answering by some blind faith. Follow me, okay, let's go. They're not just doing that, they're going, they've already seen something so attractive and special in Jesus. They're seeing something in Jesus that is worth leaving everything behind to go and follow him. Have you experienced that with Jesus? Have you experienced the blessing of just being with Jesus by which you say everything else is secondary in my life next to the greatness and the beauty of Jesus? Have you encountered the sweetness of Jesus by which you're saying, yeah, I'm following you, Jesus. No matter what the cost is, I wanna go with you. So we read that they immediately left their nets and followed him. They left it all behind. And then, and I like this here. Let me bring this verse back up here. Let's see where it is. It's coming up. So I want you to catch this here. Because sometimes we can think, you know, with these disciples, these were skilled, <laughs> trained guys um, that Jesus is calling because they're so gifted. No, that's not the case. In fact, in Acts, we read about people seeing the disciples and they're like, you know what? These are untrained men, but they saw something different than because it says that they had been with Jesus. That made the difference. And Jesus isn't calling the gifted. He's not calling the, the skilled. He's calling people. And notice it says, I will make you fishers of men. Jesus says, guys, all you need to do is follow me. And I will make you what I'm calling you to be. I will do that work in you. He has begun a good work in us. We'll be faithful to complete until the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1, 6. So understand that God doesn't Call the qualified, he qualifies the called. You've heard that said lots of times, I'm sure. But Jesus isn't looking for all the people that have it together. He's looking for people just willing to follow him in obedience. And he makes us. He does that work of sanctification. 
He's the one that, that equips us. He's, uh, we're shown in scripture that we are being transformed in the likeness of Jesus Christ. It's an ongoing progression of work. But here's the thing. We don't have to clean ourselves up. We don't have to become like Jesus to come and follow him. No, you come as you are and you follow Jesus and he does that work. Just like John 15 says, unless uh, you abide in me, you cannot bear any fruit. A branch does not have to try to labor to push out fruit. A branch is not sweating out going, man, I need to produce some fruit here. The branch just realizes I need to be connected to the vine. I need to be connected to the tree. Jesus says, do you just abide in me? And you're gonna see the work happen. You're gonna see the fruit come. Jesus does that work. Trust him, but, but be abiding in him. Be following him. Be seeing the importance and the desire to just be with Jesus. Verse 21, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So here's the dynamic duo of John and James. They're, they're called, they're given the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Is that great? <laughs> it, it wasn't always probably for a positive because these were guys that were literally like when a Samaritan village rejected Jesus, they're like, hey, Jesus, you want us to call down fire and just consume them all just like Elijah did? And, and Jesus is like, oh, guys, please, like, give me a break here, right? I mean, these guys had some tenacity. They're sons of thunder. They had the audacity to ask Jesus, Jesus, you know, when you enter in your kingdom, listen, let me set this up for you, okay? When you enter your kingdom, Here's what you need to do. You're going to have me on your right hand and my brother on your left hand. This is going to really secure a solid kingdom. They have the tenacity, the audacity to ask Jesus for such a privileged favor like that. They're sons of thunder. These were guys that, you know, and, and along with Peter, they make up the, the kind of inner three that Jesus was oftentimes taking on apart from the disciples to different experiences like the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, some people say Jesus had these as the inner three just so he can keep an eye on them because he's like, you guys are getting in trouble if I leave you alone. You gotta stay with me. Maybe that's the case, I don't know. But here they're getting this kind of, again, special privilege of just being with Jesus in even greater and more intimate intimate ways here and learning of Jesus. Now, these two guys, they're not out casting the nets as was seen with Andrew and Peter, they're out mending their nets. And again, I just, I think that's so cool because here's Jesus, again, these aren't, aren't people that are called because they're skilled, but Jesus takes people, he says, hey, here's an area that you've been involved in. We're gonna begin to redeem that and use that, you know, for the kingdom. Uh, because James and John would, would take on, John especially, take on a very pastoral role. He's known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And they would move from the business of mending nets to mending hearts and coming along in a very pastoral way to lead people into a, a, a closer relationship with Jesus by which they can be forgiven, healed, restored, have hearts mended. That's who Jesus calls now. And then we read that, they didn't just leave their boats. No, they left their boat, but they also left their father as well. Now, this is huge because this is like the highest of relationships in this day, all right? There was great honor given to parents and you cared for your parents. 
And so that took on the, the, the chief kind of priority of relationships. And yet they left all, they left their father even. How would you fare if you were called to follow Jesus to the extent of leaving behind some very significant people in your life just so that you could follow Jesus more completely and fully? What if Jesus were to call you to, to leave your spouse for the purpose of following Jesus? Maybe don't answer that. That's probably the wrong uh, example to use. We'll stick with parents. That's probably better. Uh, no, you don't want to do that. Um, but, but you see, Jesus is calling them to a very deep calling of discipleship here. Have you counted the cost of discipleship? Have you recognized that Jesus is calling us to lay everything down, our, our will, our wants, our aspirations, for the sake of following Jesus? Have you counted the cost? Have you come to a place in your own life where you're resolved to say, Jesus, my life is not about me, it's not mine. It's yours, and I give it to you so that you can lead me and do with me and through me whatever brings about your glory. That's what Jesus has for us. But that's also the place that we're gonna find the greatest joy and blessing as we surrender ourselves, stop living for self, and live fully as a sold-out disciple following Jesus wherever he takes us. Now, what's interesting is we see this with James and John. See, the stories of James and John are similar in many ways, but their outcome was very different. How so? Well, James was the first disciple to be martyred at the hands of Herod. John, on the other hand, lived a very long life. Oh, there was uh, attempts to take his life, but God spared him, and he lived to be an old age and continued to minister to the church at an old age. Jesus had something very different for these two. They both left all to follow Jesus. They both were faithful in what God had had for them, but their outcomes were very different. See, when we're following Jesus, we're laying our lives down to him and for him to use us as he chooses. Now listen, we're receiving the gift of eternal life, but we're also saying this present life now is no longer ours. It's yours, Jesus, and this life is meant to be lived solely for the glory of God. That means that if God allows some difficulty in our life or calls us home at a young age, are we gonna complain and be disgruntled with that? Or have we, have we resolved to say, it's not about me, but it's all about you, Lord? What do you think the response would have been if Jesus were to call James and John and tell them their future? James, hey, you know, listen, follow me. You're gonna be beheaded in a few years. But you know, it's gonna be a wild adventure. John, you're gonna to live to be a, a, a full, you know, old man, die at a good, ripe age. I think James would have had some questions. <laughs> James would have said, why me, Lord, why not him? Like, that wouldn't have been received too well, I don't think. I'm kind of glad God doesn't reveal to me everything that he has in store for me. But I want to live every day saying, Lord, my life is yours. And whatever you choose to do in me and through me, I know it'll ultimately be for your glory, which will be to my blessing and reward. So help me to receive everything by your grace and for your glory. That's the attitude that I wanna have in my life. I know it's easy to say, 
but I truly want to have that resolve in my life now because this life is not my own. This, this life is temporal, but it's been bought at a precious price and I know where I'm going and that should be good enough for me. Can you say the same for your life? Because I pray and I encourage everyone listening today to be in that place where you can say, Lord, use me as you need. My life is yours. I have laid it down because you've already bought it at a precious price you own it, Lord. You own it. Use it for your glory. And that will be to your blessing. This life is temporal. Man, live it out loud and large for Jesus. Consider what it means to truly follow him, but know the blessing and the reward that comes in doing so. Verse 23 to 25, we're out of time, but let me just read this. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. So Matthew points out two areas that focus on Jesus' ministry, his teaching, and his healings. And so Matthew now, in the next few chapters, is gonna divide things up that way. Chapters five to seven are gonna focus on the teachings of Jesus, the great Sermon on the Mount. Chapters eight and nine will focus on the healings. And so we're gonna look a lot more about healings and the things that Jesus did. But here he comes now to really establish, again, the authenticity of who he is and the ministry that he's coming to heal the brokenhearted and to set uh, those that have been in captive free. And Jesus comes to do that. So as we wrap this up here today, the question for us is, again, have you chosen to follow Jesus? Have you counted the cost of discipleship? Oh yeah, it might mean that not only is gonna be perfect and comfortable, but it's all gonna be worth it as we live for the Lord and for his glory. There's no greater reward that you'll have than to lay your life down for him. Whatever that means, have you resolved to say, I count the cost of discipleship and I'm in. I am following you, Jesus. But on the other hand, have you counted the cost of non-discipleship? The cost of non-discipleship, because you can choose not to follow Jesus. But do you know what you'll be choosing? Because in so doing, you'll be choosing to die in your sins. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Eternity is at stake here. Eternity is at stake. And death apart from a saving relationship with Jesus Christ means that an eternal hell is your destination. That's not pleasant to say, but that is the reality that we all need to recognize. If I choose to put Jesus off to the side and just go my way, if I die today, I have nothing to cover me. But Jesus has already provided that covering by dying on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin, that we might now receive the righteousness of Jesus to all those that believe in him. That's our covering. And every person needs that. Have you chosen to follow him? Or have you chosen to say, I'm gonna go my own way? Because the cost of non-discipleship is far more costly than the cost of discipleship. Far less rewarding. Choose today to follow Jesus and know the blessing of life that we have in him today and forevermore, all right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we 
come to you and we thank you, God, for our time together to look at your word and, and thank you for the life that you've lived and, and how you've called people to yourself. And you call people to yourself that they might receive salvation and know who you are and live for you. And I pray that you would help us as a church to truly count the cost, but to know that the reward of that is far greater than anything we might have to endure or face or encounter in this lifetime. Lord, may we live wholeheartedly for you. And for those that have been on the fence, God, call them to you. And for those that have been putting Jesus aside, I call it to you right now. And everybody's eyes are closed. I wanna give you that opportunity to turn to Jesus today and to understand that salvation. Because the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And all you need to do is, as Jesus said, in verse 17 here, repent, turn from your ways and turn to his ways and now follow him. And he will make you what you need to be. He's not waiting for you to do it. He just says, come unto me. So turn to Jesus today. And if you have not done that, simply pray a prayer like, that, uh, like this. Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner and I'm in need of forgiveness. I'm in need of saving. I wanna turn to you today and find life and ultimately the gift of eternal life that you have promised all those that are in Christ. I give you my life. I, I wanna live for you. Be my Lord and my Savior and be the King of my heart. If you pray a prayer like that, the Bible says that you now become a new creation, a child of God. Receive them today. If you prayed that today, would you come and share that with me or those that'll be praying up in the front or if you're watching online, come and email us and we would love to share more with you about the blessing of life in Christ, all right?